using a piece of technology and not a very reliable piece of paper. So pray for us all. <laughs> Let's pray. Um, thank you, Jesus, for what you're already doing in this house. And God, I pray that what uh, I have to share today will be straight from your heart. Would you help us all, not just me, um, to hear what it is that you are saying, that you are already glorified in this place. And uh, as we respond to you, our heart's desire is that you be glorified even more. Amen. All right. So for um, quite some time now, and particularly as we've been working through this transition season, I felt God constantly turning our attention back towards the foundational cultures and ideas that he made clear to us when he planted this church six years ago. And there's a new season coming for, as there's a new season coming for us all, I've sensed this sort of melting pot happening where God is revealing again to us the things that he said in the beginning, along with revealing new things, his desire to restore the foundational concepts and and then also highlighting the earthly things that we may have added along our six-year journey together so far. Staying on the path that Jesus has for us isn't something that happens by accident. It requires intentionality and it requires discipline to remain constantly in his word and hearing his voice. We are so immersed in the cultures of this world just through the fact that we live in them that the unhelpful ones can find their way into the church if we're not keeping an eye out. And while we're blessed in some ways to live in this incredible nation uh, where a lot of our culture or some of our culture is founded on God's patterns, the further we go, more and more of it isn't. It's a constant task for us all to ensure that anti-kingdom cultures that surround us don't make their way into the church. So part of our mandate is to work towards the flow going in the other direction, to be culture changers, not culture absorbers. For this to be true, we need to be on a constant journey personally because the church is people. It's not an organisation. Therefore, the cultures that we carry in our hearts, every one of us, that we carry personally will be the culture of the church. So with this in mind, and as we journey through this sort of season of transition, we're going to regularly um, revisit afresh some of the foundations of who Redemption Hills Church is and who we are called to be over the coming months. And so today is going to be one of those. You might have heard it before. <laughs> it's going to be one of those foundational preachers. Today we're going to talk about team. Surprise, surprise. Tim's going to talk about team. <laughs> God's been stirring this in me again for months now and it's a culture that's really close to my heart and I think it's very much on God's heart for us in this season as well. I think one of the main handbrakes on kingdom advancement can be that we lose sight of the fact that we are created and designed to work in team. God's put us together with each other for his purposes for the splendour of God to be displayed, we need each other. It's gone very quiet. Our culture is screaming individualism. Individualism at us. It says, live your truth. Meet your own needs first. Take care of number one. What's in it for me? 
you can have it all. More, more, more. Or you do you, boo. <laughs> it's all about me and what I can get. And it can be tempting to view following Jesus through the same lens. If we aren't careful, we can let these cultures slip into the church. And it has no place here. The kingdom of God never stops with the individual. God is all about multiplication. And even in church life, we're often asking questions like, what are my gifts? How does God want to use me? What is God calling me to? What is God's purpose for my life? And not that there's anything particularly wrong with that. These are good questions to be able to answer. But if we answer them only in the context of me and not through the lens of us, then we've missed one of the most vital things to understand about the character and nature of God. By his very nature, he is team, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. All very different, but all equally valuable. There was never any understanding of calling and purpose in Bible times of an individual's calling devoid of relationship and connection with other people. God always sees his purposes worked out through groups of people. When the Holy Spirit was poured out in Acts 2, they were together in the upper room. Jesus sent the disciples out in team, two by two or more. And there is something about ministering together that sees a synergy happen, that's a big word, that results in a power that is greater than the sum of its parts for his glory. There's a pattern that says that the fullness of the splendor of God is displayed when it happens together. That there are multiple gifts all working together. And, and when we come to worship together like we have this morning, it isn't about these guys up here. They are just providing a framework or some scaffolding or something to help us lift our voices together to glorify Jesus. Look, have you noticed that it just sounds better here on a Sunday morning than it does in the shower? <laughs> that's, that's not that in the shower is bad. <laughs> And personal worship is really vital and important, but man, it's awesome when we come together. And all that these musicians and these guys up here do is just provide that framework for us to be on the same page. In so many ways, our cultural norms fight against this. Like even me standing on this platform with these lights in this building and this stuff can, be, can model something unhelpful if we view it through the wrong lens. I will get to some scripture, don't panic. As we are working through this transition, team is something vital for us all to understand. Individualism is one of the main sources of church splits, of hurt, of disillusioned and disengaged Christians. If we don't fully understand team, we can easily slip into a mindset that there is more value in a person or a position than in the whole body. Now, Russ and Mary Doty or Tim and Kate Oliver are not alone the display of God's splendour. Although I reckon Kate's pretty splendid. You're all right. You're all right. You guys are all right. The majesty of God is displayed through all of us together. Sometimes even when we understand that we are part of a larger body, we all want to be the good-looking bits. We all want to be the head or the face because nobody wants to be the big toe. We desire to be the bits that we perceive to be more beautiful or more worthy. Do you know how hard it is to stand up without a big toe? 
you fall over. If for some reason you have some terrible accident with a lawnmower and you have your big toe removed, (laughs) you have to learn to walk all over again. The first time you try and stand up, you'll fall in a heap. So what does scripture say about all this? Not necessarily big toes, but let's, uh, let's go to Romans 12, verse 3. And we've got to read some big chunks here. It says this, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, not to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but to think with sober discernment as God has distributed to each of you a measure of faith. For just as in one body we have many members, and not all members serve the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ. And individually, we are members who belong to one another. And we have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If the gift is prophecy, that individual must use it in proportion to his faith. If it is service, he must serve. If it's teaching, he must teach. If it's exhortation or encouragement, he must exhort. If it is contributing, he must do so with sincerity. If it is leadership, he must do so with diligence. If it is showing mercy, he must do so with cheerfulness. Let's go to another section that says the same thing. I could have read 100 scriptures this morning, but I've picked out these few. 1 Corinthians 12, from verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, (laughs) to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of the one of one and the same spirit and he distributes them to each one just as he determines just as a body though one has many parts but all its many parts form one body so it is with Christ we are all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body whether Jews or Gentiles slave or free and we were all given the one spirit to drink Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now the foot should say, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they are all one part, where would the body be? Are you getting this? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable and the parts that we think are less honourable we treat with special honour and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty while our presentable parts need no special treatment 
But God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Can I read one more from Ephesians 4? This is Paul speaking. Therefore I, a prisoner, the prisoner for the Lord, urge you to live worthily of the calling with which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, putting up with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you too were called to the one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he captured captives, he gave gifts to men. Now, what is the meaning of he ascended? Except that he also descended to the lower regions, namely the earth. He, the very one who descended, is the one who ascended above all the heavens in order to fill all things. And he gave himself some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors, some as teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That is to build up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, a mature person attaining to the measure of Christ's full stature. Think about that. So we are no longer to be children tossed back and forth by waves and carried about by every wind of teaching and trickery of people who craftily carry out their deceitful schemes, but practicing the truth in love. We will in all things grow up into Christ who is the head. For from him the whole body grows, fitted and held together through every supporting ligament. As each one does its part, the body builds itself up in love." Take a deep breath. Are we okay? So what do we do with all this? What's some keys to working in team? There's probably 150 of them, but I've got three for this morning. Uh, what's that? We've got all year. Yeah, there you go. I think the, uh, the first and perhaps most important one is humility. Someone once said that um, humility isn't thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. It's clear from these scriptures that we've just read that it's the spirit that releases what he needs in us and qualifies us to do exactly what he needs us to do when he needs us to do it. We are so steeped in the cultures of the world and its hierarchy that we can let it influence us to esteem a person or a gift more highly than another. Or worse than that, we can think our own gift or calling is more important than another's. Think about it. Our idea of value and worth exists entirely in our heads. Who says the gold is worth more than silver? Or a diamond is more valuable than a ruby? Or that this person is more attractive than that person? It's all just perception. And it's influenced by the world around us. Why should something less common automatically be more valuable? 
Perception influenced by the world has no place in the church. We are all in the work of the ministry as Jesus directs. Me standing here doing this right now is of no more value than the kind word you might offer at the supermarket checkout or the prayer that you might pray with someone over coffee later on. We think it's more important or more valuable just because it's more visible or perhaps it's more rare. In my case, it's quite rare. That'll change. Um, and, And that's all in our heads. It's all in our heads. It's all perception. Scripture teaches us to not think of ourselves more highly than we ought. The world and its cultures have crept into the church would say that the senior pastor is the head of the church or is is to be esteemed more highly. It's rubbish. Jesus is the head of the church. Let's get that straight from the get-go. We look to him. We esteem him. We submit to him. Too often leaders stand up and demand that people commit to their vision. I've often heard people say things to leaders like, I lay down my vision to serve yours, or I submit to your vision. It's rubbish. Don't do that. (laughs) Let's lay down our vision together to serve his. And sometimes I'm accused of being too idealistic and people might say, oh, that's, that's a nice ideal, but in reality, how will you keep everyone going in the same direction? Or worse than that, how will you control everybody? (laughs) Could we be crazy enough to believe that if God has called us together in the same place at the same time, given us his word, given us the Holy Spirit, and is beckoning to us to stay close to him and hear his voice, that perhaps he can use all of that to unify us around what he sees and have us serving him in a unified way. Could that be possible? Could we be on the same page together if we're reading from the same book? That we could all be contributing what he is uniquely put in each one of us and called of each of us to make up the whole. And Jesus can bring that together to restore his creation back to himself. Can we believe in humility that the gifts and things we have in our hands are all of equal value in his sight? Can we believe that if we miss it or we get a little off track, that his grace is more than enough to draw us back? That we don't have to punish ourselves or each other or wait to be disciplined by man? Humility calls us to turn our back on hierarchy. And that's not running ourselves down but it is thinking of ourselves and others through the lens of God's esteem. Value what others have and what we have on the same level as God does. Different gifts and different functions as God directs, but all with the same value coming together for the common purpose of seeing his kingdom come to earth. So practical point number two, for this morning anyway, is obedience. So therefore, if in humility we've accepted how God has created us and valued correctly what he has given us, what comes next for teamwork? To obey. Team is outworked in doing. 
And perhaps we could different, uh, perhaps I could have used different words for these two points. Perhaps humility is being or knowing who we are and obedience is doing. A football team who is secure in their position and values every other team member equally but never gets off the bench and into the game is never going to win a dang thing. Never going to take home a flag. So let's set our hearts on obedience. And it's, a, it's an obedience that comes from a deeply cultivated relationship with Jesus. Obedience firstly to Jesus, not to man. Our role, and not just as leaders, but for every one of us, is to come, along each so- come alongside each other. To help each other cultivate a deep relationship and conversation with Jesus. Cultivate a commitment to the truth of the word. I'm a bit dry. That leads you to a place where you can discern what the perfect will and call of God is for your life. Or for our lives. Can I suggest again that God is more committed to who you are becoming in him. And transforming you to become more like Jesus then he is committed to what you do for him. What you do for Jesus and how you serve will directly flow out of who he has created you to be. Our first step of obedience is to be with Jesus and know him. Only in this can we truly understand who he says we are. But as we understand that in a deeper way, we realise he has things for us to do. He wants to put divine appointments in your calendar. He's sending you invitations. He's setting up opportunities for us to partner with him and each other to do stuff. A team of people who understand and value who they are and respond in obedience to Jesus when he speaks is an incredibly powerful force in the story that God's writing in this community. Number three, and we're coming home. So if we're humble and we're obedient, to stick that all together, we need love. It's the glue that makes all this stick together. And it's not just an attitude, it's also an action. Ephesians 4 said to us, I therefore, the prisoners for the Lord, urge you to live worthily of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, putting up with one another in love making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. We've heard it said many times before that love is preferring another's highest. Ephesians says that teamwork functions when we live in the way we've been called and as others do that too. We bear with one another through humility, being gentle with one another, being patient with one another, And we're making every effort to be unified, every effort to be unified under the Spirit through the bond of peace. So this means some really practical things, and this I find hard. (laughs) It means being patient when others don't do things exactly the way that you think that they should be done. Men. Perhaps you're not right. Maybe you're just different. It's being gentle with each other when we instruct each other as we work together. 
Effective teamwork takes time and that takes patience. There's an old quote that says, uh, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. And this one really hurts me. You know that idea that if you want something done properly, you best just do it yourself? I've learned over 40-something years of trying to do that, (laughs) that it doesn't scale up very well. (laughs) Love says that to work together, we can have grace for each other's differences. Love says that I don't have to be right. Love says that I don't have to win. For at the end of the day, what good is it to have always been right always been the winner and be a miserable, lonely, grumpy old man. Sometimes love looks like slowing down when someone is hurt or injured or carrying a heavy burden. We help them bear their burden so that we can bring them along. Love brings everyone along. Love says that the whole is more important than the one. And love isn't love if it isn't expressed and it can't be expressed alone. God designed us to be together, bonded in love. Take a deep breath. Okay, I'll take a deep breath. All right, so wrapping up. Um, This week at our elders meeting, we just spent the time praying and seeking God and praying for each other and, and for you guys. And there was a whole heap of stuff that we heard God say. But um, Helen Vanderbilt shared a picture um, and a memory with us of a pipe organ that she'd seen. And it stuck with me ever since. It was about how all the pipes come together in team with all of their unique tones to create a beautiful, unified sound. So in preparing this message, I found myself going down a Wikipedia wormhole of articles on pipe organs. Hold on to your hats. What's that? Hard quiz. Hard quiz, yeah, yeah. Um, I discovered uh, Wikipedia is a a very accurate uh, scientific um, (laughs) university quotable uh, reference tool. But for the purposes of this illustration, it doesn't matter. I discovered that the largest pipe organ in the world is found in Boardwalk Hall in Atlantic City. And it was constructed between May 1929 and December 1932. This is fun. Uh, It holds the Guinness World Records for the largest pipe organ in the world, the largest instrument of any kind in the world, and the loudest instrument of any kind in the world. (laughs) It fills a 116,000 cubic metre auditorium, just wrap your head around that, with sound. It's powered by seven blowers with a power of over 600 horsepower, (laughs) moving 1,030 cubic metres of air per minute. Sorry, I'm such a nerd. Um, It has eight chambers containing, wait for this, 33,116 individual pipes. And every one of them has their place. Its largest pipe is over 18 metres long. What? And it weighs 
1,520 kilograms. It produces a tone at 8 hertz. Do you know what a hertz? What hertz? I know when it hurts. Hertz is like a waveform, and a one hertz it means it goes up and it goes down every second. So it produces a tone at 8 hertz, and that's so low that we can't hear it. But my word, you'll feel it. It's reported to feel like the throbbing of a helicopter directly over your head. It's got other pipes alongside it that when played in harmony, they can produce a harmonic tone when they're combined of four hertz. When they first tested it in 1930, when they fired it up, these pipes for the first time, chunks of the ceiling fell in. Somewhere in the middle, its loudest pipe produces over 130 decibels at one metre. That's fighter jet loud. <laughs> and at the other end of the spectrum, it contains, pipe, it contains pipes that whisper and can barely be heard, just a couple of centimetres long. So high they can barely be heard by the human, he- human ear, but they add air and space and beauty to the overall tone. The organ contains pipes in sizes, producing sounds everywhere between these two extremes. And they are all vital to the sound that the organ produces. See where we're going with this? So why nerd out about pipe organs? It's to make this illustration. And let me get a little bit poetic here. Imagine we are all organ pipes. We're unique in character. And we are all valuable. The foundation holding up this massive structure, this thing weighs 150 tonnes by the way, the foundation holding up this massive structure is God and his word. Providing the wind and the power is the Holy Spirit. And sitting at the keyboard is Jesus, the greatest musician in all of creation. We get to be an organ pipe that doesn't need to look at others and say, I wish I could play that note instead. Your note in him is exactly the right one. You are unique. You are valuable. And most of all, you are vital. You're needed. Play your note loud and true when Jesus presses the key on the keyboard. And as we all do that together, we'll have a mighty sound. A beautiful sound, a sound that echoes through heaven and earth and draws the attention of all around, not to a man, but to Jesus who's playing the keyboard. And you know, as I read further about the Boardwalk Hall organ, I learned that it's under restoration. It was significantly damaged and flooded by a hurricane in 1944, partially submerged. It sat dormant until a small part of it was restored in 1998 and just one-eighth of it or one chamber. And then after that, it was further damaged by careless workmen during building renovations in 2001 where sections and pipes were stepped on and crushed and crucial control systems were removed and destroyed. A new restoration project commenced in 2013 and it's ongoing as funds can be raised and the expected cost to fully restore it 16 million bucks. At present, it's around 50% functional and it's playable. 
So then I couldn't help but think about the possible parallels with the church. So God the founder has a design in his word for his priesthood, that's all of us, all connected to him, fully alive and functioning in their own unique way, blown along by the wind of the spirit and glorifying Jesus with their own unique sound. And the storms and things of the world may have come along and caused significant damage along the way. Perhaps careless workers trying their best to represent him have come along and squashed you or caused you damage or stepped on your pipe, shut down your unique sound because it's not needed. But God is in the restoration business. He's putting his priesthood back together the way he designed it. He's restoring his church to help him put the world back together the way he designed it. And maybe today he's restoring the passions and callings that he placed in you a long time ago. Maybe you're hearing your note and your calling for the first time. He's restoring his team, not just those visible or those who think they have title or status, but a team that includes every last one of us playing our equally vital and valuable part. He's restoring his church to restore his kingdom. This is not about filling roster slots. But it's about taking our place in filling the hearts of the lost and the hurting. In ministering to each other and ministering to the world around us together. You know, in church life there's just stuff that has to be done. And so often people get up and talk about teamwork and volunteering and all that kind of stuff. Just so we can do jobs and do the stuff. This is not what this is about. That's just work. And that flows out of a revelation of service, but it's about ministering together, seeing the world restored. I think as we all come together in team and strive for nothing else than to spur one another on to live lives worthy of his calling, as Ephesians says, we will see Jesus' kingdom advance on the earth and no one other than him will receive the glory. Thank you, Lord, that uh, you are in the restoration business. That you are transforming lives in our midst. That you are restoring truths that have been stolen. That you're restoring identities in you. That you desire, your desire is to put everything back the way you intended it to be in the first place. So we trust your story, God. We, we declare as a church together that we trust your way. We want to do it your way. We want to see your kingdom come on the earth. And we want to yield and submit and surrender to you and the way you want to do it. We thank you for the creativity that you've put inside us, God. But when that steps out of your boundaries, Lord, would you be merciful to bring us back in? to bring us into alignment with you? Would you help us in relationship, Lord, to bear with one another with all patience and humility and gentleness and kindness? For this is a display of your splendor. Would you transform this group of people and would you transform us to do that, God, we pray. It struck me also that... Um, God might be restoring some old things for you, 
Maybe he's calling you to join his team for the very first time. Maybe you've never felt a part of something. But more importantly than that, you need Jesus. He's the beginning and the end. He's the alpha, he's the omega. He has purpose for you. But more than that, he loves you. And he wants to be in relationship with you. And he wants to partner, wants you to partner with him to see his kingdom come on the earth. So if that is you, would you come and uh, have a yarn to somebody after the service? And we would love to pray with you. We'd love to pray for any one of you. If uh, you feel God is restoring a heart, healing some hurts, undoing some things that have been spoken over you, providing opportunities, we would just absolutely love to pray with you. And I never know how to wrap up. So I'm going to um, handball to Tony and...